hardware tonight. As I said this morning, this is sort of part two uh, from this morning's sermon. Uh, as we think about relationships, we're thinking about relationships where this morning we talked about uh, primarily what relationships look like, right? We talked about relationships that are founded on spiritual concerns, that are uh, built by honesty and openness, that are strengthened by encouragement, that are guarded by uh, holiness and accountability, and they're restored by grace and forgiveness. I'm so amazed that I remembered all those things. Uh, that's what we talked about this morning, what they look like. This evening, I want to focus on the other question, right? I think that there's two questions about relationships. What should a Christian relationship look like? The other one, who should a Christian have relationships with? That is the second question here. And, and this is a, a specifically a, a complicated idea. You think about words like association, words like fellowship, words like uh, communion, which we, you know, we can participate in communion. This idea of who should a Christian have close relationships with? I really want to emphasize the idea of who should the Christian have close relationships with. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the verses we read this morning in a different sort of context when we talk about this. In Ephesians 5, Paul begins to address some of the relationships we might have. Now, we're going to continue into Ephesians 5 in the second half. Husbands and wives, and he's going to talk about uh, bond servants and masters, and he's going to talk about uh, children and parents. And so he is talking about relationships in the broader context of Ephesians chapter 5. But the first half of the chapter is about this idea of who should we have relationships with. And then in the second half, okay, the relationships that we have, what should those look like? How should we act in these different, the husband and wife, the parent and the child, the, the bond servant and the master, what should those look like? But the first half of the chapter is really about being careful who you form relationships with at all, who you have dealings with at all. So I'll read the first 21 verses of Ephesians 5. Uh, 1 through 5 here. Be, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. One of the things I want you to note as we go through these verses, the first 21 verses, how often he talks about our words, things that we speak about. Here he says, sexual immorality and impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead there, let there be thanksgiving. You may be sure of this. Everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Again, this emphasis on words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. We'll talk about this word partners in a minute. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part, this idea of do not become partners with them. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. And anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, that's us, we're the sleeper, and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Do not be foolish. 
but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another. And this one another is an important idea in the text, in Ephes not just in Ephesians, but really the important idea throughout the New Testament. What does one another mean? Who is one another? And of course, it's a term that varies by context, depending on the context in which it's written, what that exactly means. Here, one another has a very specific meaning. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart, uh, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another. Here's that idea of one another again. One another is not just anybody. We'll talk about that as we go through out of reverence for Christ. Now, at the center of this contrast, ooh, we had a little bit advanced. The contrast in the text, children of light, Children of disobedience. Now the text specifically says sons of disobedience. This is one of those instances where the, the male pronoun is a stand-in for everybody, right? It's not just men who are disobedient, but children of light versus children of disobedience. Those who obey and those who do not. And as we think about these things, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The primary contrast is the outcome. Wrath for the sons of disobedience, hopefully not wrath for the children of light, right? That we're hoping to escape the wrath. What's the these things? The these things that bring the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience, uh, verses three through five, sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, uh, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. Uh, we have uh, sexually immoral again, impurity again, covetous again. He re sort of reemphasizes idolatry, these are the things that he's saying, right? Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the children, the sons of disobedience. These are the things that are the contrast. And we're thinking about, okay, becoming partners with them, the them being the sons of disobedience, right? These are the things to be on the lookout for. And we're thinking about what is going to bring the, God, the wrath of God down upon people. These are some of the things. And we're thinking about being, being careful. Who am I developing close relationships with? Who am I investing a lot of time in? Who am, I, who am I spending most of my time around? Is it people who are engaged in these things? Or people who are helping us not to be engaged in these kinds of behaviors? Now, there's an interesting emphasis on words I asked you to look out for. Even going back to Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Corrupting would be what? What is corrupting? Corrupting is things that lead to these behaviors. That's what corrupting is. Things that would lead someone into these kinds of behaviors. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. We talked about this morning the importance of encouragement, right? Thinking about our words being words that build up. Are there times when our words are going to be critical, but as the process of building up? Yeah, when we're holding each other accountable. That is some uh, talk that is maybe negative, unpleasant, but it can still build up. The point is, are words bringing people towards these behaviors or farther away from those behaviors? Ephesians 5, 4, let no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Foolish Filthy, crude. These are words that are, again, uh, a little bit difficult to define because they are so context-sensitive, right? Things that we say in one culture that are very maybe offensive or, or crude are not the same in other cultures. And again, it's even, I think, again, situationally dependent. There's different language that evolves over time. We can say stuff now. 
Maybe we shouldn't, maybe we should, but there's stuff that people say now that's not considered offensive that used to be. And guess what? In the future, stuff that we say now that people think is offensive won't be offensive, and it's going to be the other way too. There's stuff that people say now that people consider to be offensive that in the past they never thought that to be crude or, or foolish or they never thought that to be filthy in the past, but now we say it and it's like, whoa, you can't say that now. Words are complicated. Words are difficult because they're so culturally defined. How we talk, who we talk to, what kinds of things we talk about. For the Christian, you can get down the rabbit hole of culturally defined, but for the Christian, the point is what? That our speech be, in the phrase that would be used in other places in the New Testament, above reproach. This is what Peter would emphasize in 1 Peter, right? That we be above reproach. That our words, whatever it is that we're saying, are so clean and pure. And you notice the contrast between immoral immorality and impurity and covetousness. The idea of impurity. That our words are so pure that there's no room for anyone to say, hey, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't, have, you shouldn't talk like that. Our, our speech needs to be above reproach. Uh, Ephesians 5.12. It is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. What are the things that they do in secret? Again, it's, it's these things, right? The sexual immorality, the impurity to covetousness, the, the filthiness, the crude joking, all of these different things. That's the things that it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Again, we have to be careful how we're talking about things. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And then what is it, what's the point of being filled with the Spirit? It's going to express, it's going to change what we say, right? In our speech, in our language, we're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. The psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that's a direct contrast to the filthiness, the foolish talk, the crude joking. These are the, the contrasts. I don't want to be this way. And we'll talk about the being drunk with wine in a minute. But the emphasis is on my words being beneficial. My words being gracious. My words being a blessing to other people, especially other people in the church. And fundamentally, why there's so much an event, emphasis on words, words are one of the primary ways that we influence each other. Right? If I want to convince you to do bad stuff, I'm going to use my words to try to convince you to do that. If I'm going to try to convince you to do righteous things, again, I'm going to use my words to try to convince you, hey, you should not do X, Y, or Z. You should do this instead. You should engage in this kind of behavior. Words are how we influence one another. Not entirely words. We have example, and an example is important too, but words are very powerful. I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus calls himself the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When we see creation, God said, let there be light. Words all throughout the Bible have this incredible power to influence one way or the other. And influence is indeed what we're considering in relationships. If we're thinking about one overall point in this, do not let your relationships influence you into sinful behavior. That's, that's the overall point here. The sexual immorality, the impurity, the covetousness. People who do those things, they don't have any part in the kingdom of God. People who do those things, they have the wrath of God coming upon them. How are we influenced into doing that? By our relationships. We're, relation, we're influenced into being either righteous or sinful based on who we spend time with, based on who we talk to, based on who we're interacting with. Which is why he says, Ephesians 5, 7, do not become partners with them. Who's the them? The children of disobedience. For at one time you were in darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We'll talk about that phrase in just a minute. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. What does it mean to become partners with them? Now, the different, some different translations. Uh, New American Standard has, do not be partakers with them. Uh, the NRSV, I think, is a little harsher. Uh, we think about being partners or partakers. The NRSV says, do not associate with them. That's a, even a little harsher, I think. You know, you think about, I'm not doing the same things they're doing. The NRSV, the emphasis is on not even being around people who are doing these kinds of things. Uh, do not become their partners. That's the Holman Christian Standard Bible. At the most basic level, what's the point? Don't do what they do. These children of disobedience, people who don't want to follow God, people who have no idea what God wants or don't care what God wants, don't do the same stuff they're doing. Now, this is the same word, partner, in Ephesians 3, 6. The Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise. This is the same word. Do not become partners with them. That's how he describes the Gentiles. The Jews and Gentiles, they are partakers together. That was the mystery of the gospel, right? The Gentiles used to be excluded. Now they're included. And that idea, I think, illuminates what is being said later in chapter 5. If he's using that word to describe the fellowship between the Gentiles and the Jews in Christ, they have fellowship, they're same purpose, same mind, same goal. They're going for the same thing. And so as a consequence of that, yeah, spend time with them. Have relationships with them. We can think about Paul's rebuke of Peter. I came to him and I, I rebuked Peter to his face. Why? Because when the Gentiles were just there, Peter was hanging out and having a good time and spending time with the Gentiles. And then the Jews came and Peter was like, I can't, I, I got I to be away from you. I can't be with the Gentiles anymore. Right? He was refusing to be a partner with the Gentiles when the Jews showed up. And Paul was mad about that, as he should have been. So when we think about this idea of being partners with them, not, not just not doing the same things they do, but absolutely, and again, thinking about the emphasis of this morning, we're basing our relationships on spiritual things. Your closest relationships should be with other Christians. They just should. Because other Christians are the ones who are going to influence you for holiness. It's hard to accept that sometimes. Because we think about family members who are not faithful. Shouldn't have said that. We think about family members who aren't faithful. We think about close friends that we've had for years who are not faithful. We think about coworkers that we really enjoy the company of who are not faithful. It's difficult to keep in mind the eternal significance of our relationship. The whole Bible is full of warnings about how we let outsiders, this word outsider that was used in 1 Corinthians, we'll read it again in just a minute, how outsiders influence us. 1 Peter 4, 3 through 4, the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. I said, when did we talk about this? I don't remember. Maybe we talked about this in the Saturday morning men's study. Oh yeah, it must have been because we were doing 1 Peter. The, the things that the Gentiles want to do. That word Gentile is a stand-in for non-Christian, unbeliever, right? The things that the unbelievers want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. These things are the same things that he's listed already in Ephesians, right? Paul lists the same things. Idolatry, which is covetousness, sexual immorality, impurity, 
right? These are the same things here. With respect to this, they are surprised that they do not, you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. The world wants you to do what they do. And this is, drives out a hard, a difficult truth of evangelism. You can say all the right stuff and be very gracious in your words and very accepting in the way that we talk about people and treat people. But at the end of the day, if you refuse to participate in the things that they do, they know you think it's wrong. They're not dumb. People are not dumb. If you're like, people are doing stuff that they're not supposed to do and they want you to join them, and you're like, no, I don't want to do that. Even if you've never been judgmental, you've never been condemnate, you've never any said anything about condemnation, you've never said anything harsh to them, guess what happens the minute you say, I don't want to do that? You've informed them that you think it's wrong. That's just ungetaroundable. So yeah, they malign you. Yeah, they insult you. They say bad things about you. Not if you, and again, it's not that you've judged them. It's not that you've said you're a horrible person. It's not that you said you're going to hell. But the act of separation, the act of refusal is a judgment. Just by its very nature. And so the easy thing is, the thing that's comfortable, this is where we get into the difficulty of relationships. The thing that is comfortable is, I will participate with them. Because I, I don't want to cause conflict. I don't want to seem judgmental. I don't want to seem harsh. So I'll join them in the quote-unquote flood of debauchery because I don't want to cause conflict. Guess what? Now you have become partners with them. That's the point. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 and 15. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? We read this this morning. What fellowship is light with darkness? What accord is Christ with Belial? What portion has a believer with an unbeliever? The implication again, none. Different words, all describing the same thing. Join, yoked, partnership, fellowship, accord, portion. These are all just words in these verses. Who we build relationships with matters. And the people that we have our strongest relationships with should be other believers. There is a tension at the heart of this. Because some groups have taken all these verses and the, the sort of extreme logical conclusion is we'll just totally separate, right? We'll just totally isolate. We'll withdraw from the world to remove temptation, to remove corruption, to remove uh, difficulty. And so we get groups that are very isolationist. There's a lot of religious Christian groups that are isolationist. They have nothing to do. They don't want anything to do with the outside world. But we know that's wrong too, right? 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 12. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindler or idolater. Since then you'd have need to go out of the world. What's he saying there? I don't want you to go out of the world. I don't want you to isolate. I don't want you to separate entirely. Now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. What have I to do with judging outsiders? So there's a tension here. On the one hand, we have to be around outsiders in order to reach them with the gospel. On the other hand, we should not be building especially strong relationships with those outside the church because of the danger of undue influence in our lives. 
But at the same time, we need to be around people who are not in the church. We need to have some relationship with those who are not in the church. Otherwise, how are we going to reach them? How are they going to hear the truth? How are they going to be influenced for righteousness if we have no relationship with those who are outside the church? This is the tension at the heart of the Christian relationship. That I want to be partners with those who are children of light. I don't want to be partners with those who are sons of disobedience. But I do want the sons of disobedience to become children of light. I want them to come over to our side, right? I want that to happen. Remember that biblical, foundation, biblical relationships are founded on spiritual concerns. And if your spiritual concerns are the most important thing and you're thinking about your relationships, what greater divide is there than between a believer and an unbeliever? There is no greater divide. That's the, only, that's the only divide that has infinite consequence. All the others, they last 80 years, tops. The divide between believer and unbeliever is infinite. It's eternal. And so it is the pillar of the way that we think about relationships. And so the question should be, how do we maintain the balance then, okay? The rest of the lesson will be this question. How do we maintain this balance? I want to be an influence on those who are unrighteous, an influence on those who are not believers, but I don't want them to suck me into, what's the phrase in 1 Peter? The flood of debauchery. I don't want them to unduly influence me and bring me into being partners with their behavior. How do I, how do, I do that? How do I have relationships with those in the world, but I'm not corrupted by them? Well, a couple of things. Ephesians 5, 1 through 4. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Sexual immorality and impurity or covetous must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. First thing, how are we talking? What do we talk about? What kind of language do we use? Language is one of the first markers of influence in your life. You're thinking about how can I measure the influence that other people are having on me? How can I measure if I'm being more of an influence on them than they are on me? The first thing to think about is how you talk. What kinds of things do you talk about? What kinds of words do you use? That's going to be indicator number one of what way the influence is flowing. What, what is the balance of influence? More on them or more on you? Who's changing their language? Who's changing what they talk about? Who's changing how they talk? And if your language is changing more than theirs, they're influencing you more than you are them. That's what he's saying here, right? These things must not even be named among you. Shouldn't be talking about these things. Shouldn't have foolish talk or, or filthy talk or, or crude joking. Instead, what? Let there be thanksgiving. Thinking about what God has done for us. Right? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. That's what we're thankful for ultimately. So question one, how do we, walk the how do we find the balance here? Well, answer is, first answer is, think about your language. Think about how you're talking. Think about what you talk about. Number two, Ephesians 5, 8 through 10 and 15 through 17. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern. Here's that word that we use a lot, or I use a lot. I don't know about you. Discern. To figure out, to realize, to discover what is pleasing to the Lord. Look carefully as you walk. This is in verse 15. Not unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. 
<clears throat> do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here's the same thing, right? Discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Understand what the will of the Lord is. So here's the second thing. Okay, first, how are we talking? What are we talking about? What kind of language do we use? Second thing, how do you define right and wrong? Where do you get your definition of right and wrong? Where does that come from in your life? Now, again, most of us, we don't really think about these things intentionally. We just sort of developed it from our parents probably or, or maybe from other people. I don't know. Hope maybe it was from the preacher, whoever. But the more time you spend in the world, what's going to happen? You're going to start to develop their standard of right and wrong. You're going to start adopting their understanding of morality. Are we trying to discern God's will, what is pleasing to him, or are we allowing the world to shape how we view righteousness? And so we need to think, okay, we're thinking about relationships. I want to be in the world. I want to have relationships with those in the world so that I can influence them. But every so often we need to stop, take a mental inventory. How do I define right and wrong? Where did I get that definition of right and wrong? Why do I think X, Y, or Z is wrong? And if it's not something that you can find in God's word, you're probably being influenced more by the world than you're influencing the world. We have to be thinking very seriously about where we're getting our standard. The third thing, Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. The word debauchery comes up a lot in these texts, right? But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's where we talk about the one another. We think about this idea of maintaining control. The idea of wine, the do not be drunk with wine, that's about maintaining self-control, right? I want to be in control of my faculties at all times. Why do I want to be in control at all times? Because if I'm in the world, trying to influence the world, there's a constant pressure against me that I will join them. I will become partners with them. I will do the things that they want to do. Which means I need to not have anything in my life that limits my ability to be in control of my behavior. If I have anything introduced into my life that inhibits my ability to make decisions, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to be more likely to join the world in their things that they're doing. That's the whole point of the wine, right? The do not be drunk, but, but be filled with the Spirit. The second thing is what? How often are we with other Christians? We're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I'm going to suggest to you that outside of very rare circumstances, that could come up. Think about Paul and Silas in jail. It's not like it never comes up. Most of the time that you're addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that's with other Christians, right? That's who you're addressing with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs most of the time. What kinds of things are filling our hearts? One of the things that I really appreciated about uh, talking with Roy, of course we had Roy's memorial yesterday. Yeah, that was, just seems like it was so long ago. Uh, yesterday we had Roy's memorial. Talking with the family, one of the things that I, th I found to be particularly encouraging about Roy is everybody in the family knew that how great their art was his favorite song. And they knew that because he would just hum it constantly. <laughs> he would just be constantly humming how great thou art. And he would sort of stop if, if somebody noticed, right? But you, you, they would often catch him just sort of under his breath. He wasn't even thinking about it. Just sort of humming. And just, you know, he'd do the whole song. That song was obviously 
in his heart. He was full of that. That was something that was deep in his psyche. That's how we need to be as we're thinking about being filled with the Spirit, being filled with his will, his goal, his understanding. And then that comes out in what? In the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It comes out as we address one another. It comes out as we're giving thanks and everything. Finally, the who do we submit to? You're not submitting to the world. That's exact opposite of the point of the text. You're not submitting to those outside the church. You're submitting to those who have your goals in mind. The goal of being a faithful Christian. The goal of doing God's will. The goal of discerning what's pleasing to the Lord. And so again, I want to make this very clear again. We're thinking about our closest relationships. Those who we're mostly going to submit to in our life. Yeah, you have to submit to your boss, I guess, in a sense, right? Because you don't want to get fired. But the people that you're willingly submitting to, that you're saying, hold me accountable. You're being open and honest and, and vulnerable, as we talked about this morning. Those should be people who are going to help you be more faithful to God. Because that's the goal, right? What will it gain a man if he what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits its soul? The, the implied answer is nothing. You might think, and we try to justify this in our, in our lives, right? We're going to spend all this time in the world and try to build relationships so we can influence the lost. And, and that's a good thing to do. But we have to be careful to maintain those close relationships with those in the church who are going to help us be faithful to God. The Christian balances on a knife edge between light and dark, between being an influence on the lost and being irrelevant, between being transformed and different from the world or conformity, between being in the world but not part of the world. It is a tough balance to maintain. I hope some of these things will help us in thinking about how we're doing in that balance.